What up, listeners? This is Rachel Jake coming at you from MSNBC Podcast Studios. I have with us here today a white woman here to talk about what's going on with white people. Liz Fran Fran Frank is well. Liz, frankly, I ain't gonna pronounce that last name. Uh, what's up with you, fucking whites? Liz, over whites. You're not even participating in this with me. I'm not doing this. Well, thank you for uh, listening to that commercial break. Uh, unfortunately, what our guest said was <laughs> so, so incendiary. And frankly, I found, as somebody who is, of course, partially white myself, repulsive that, uh, let me tell you, this Neapolitan host of this show is not happy. I'm uh, so happy for you to bring back Racial Jake. I feel like he is just, as a character, mm-hmm. we've got to develop him a little bit more. Because I feel like Gourmand has, as as he should, yeah. very three-dimensional. Yes. <laughs> you know, he, this is a well-shaded <laughs> character. He's, yeah. he's a, Gourmand is actually four-dimensional because he, he's been, for some reason, he's been he's eating. pushed through. He's been eating in the same, <laughs> the same brasserie and in the same patisseries since... Before World War One, and he's yeah. still at it, so he's 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 in time too. Racial Jake to me is a guy who has both transcended whatever, also mm. whatever sublimated means, and also uh, uh, <laughs> gone through the racial every racial question. Mm. He's solved race for his radio show. Yeah, yeah. Well, he does. He it's, he's a YouTuber, but mm. you know I feel like this- he's on like some version of iHeartRadio that I don't know about. That's like the the dangerous one. It is insane to me that a company called iHeartRadio got that big. It is by was- far the worst name for a major corporation in, in history. I don't even know what they do. In my head, it's affiliated with Miley Cyrus, and I have no idea why I think that. Eh, yeah, you're wrong on that. <laughs> There's something. <laughs> I mean, I think they're probably a. I'm, I'm sure I think she's there was a festival, but it comes from the era. Remember when a lot of people were like putting a lowercase i, like like the iPod, in front of their company to mm. denote that it had it used technology. Mm-hmm. It, it, they're like an early hype beast company. Again, I think you're incorrect on that. I, are you? Are you? Do you there know was, what like, I, I radio yes, is? Yes, I'm thinking of the like. <laughs> I Heart F- Radio Music Festival, which was in, I think, Las Vegas. That was very big and uh, had a bunch of those, like, t- those types of pop stars. And it was, it, I, in my head, it's like affiliated with like a post Aoki hype beast type mm-hmm. person. Steve Aoki uh, has a Gorilla Biscuits tattoo <laughs> all on the side of his body. Um, I know that because I had sex with him. Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is <laughs> Brace Belden. You thought I was going to be crazy Rachel Jake, but that's retired. I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by our producer, Young Chomsky. And this is True Anon. Hello, everyone. Hello. We're talking on the media today. Liz, do you watch TV? I do watch TV. You know, I watch a lot of TV, actually. 
Really? I watch what? probably more TV than I should. Internet what's, TV. What's your... Oh, so Shit's Creek. <laughs> no, I've never seen that. Oh, that's... You I don't support the name. You gotta see Shit's Creek. No. Really, I just... I don't like the look of it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's... I've never seen anything like... I've never actually seen it, so I guess I've never <laughs> seen it or anything like it. Um, what What's your programs? What you watch? My programs? There's like nothing on right now that's good. I did finish... I watched Euphoria. That was crazy. Mm-hmm. The teens are crazy. Yeah. Well, those are actors, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They're portraying. That's it's a, also. I, we were talking about that. That show is like written by people who recap, or like for people who recap shows. Yeah. It's like not written by young people. It's like written for like a vulture freelancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, it's a very. It's like it's a very like content oriented television show. I watch yeah. a lot of basketball. I don't really watch that much TV. Oh well, that's on TV. Do you watch yeah. the news ever? I sometimes I like to to flip on the local news because uh-huh. I like to know the weather. But yeah. no, I don't. I I I I threw on the I watched the State of the Union this week. Oh yeah, which was really a slog. I it forgot really about that. Yeah, and and the like you know the the news pageantry around that was pretty funny. Joe Biden uh, wouldn't shut the fuck up. I didn't even know he. I didn't know he was supposed to talk the whole time. <laughs> I thought they would have brought some other people out there. Um, I I watched about twenty minutes of it on my phone, and then I'll be real with you. I took a bath. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Are you bath? Are you a bath guy? You don't want to know what I get up to in there. I. You don't. I now that you, you said want, that, I'm I making really, a, I'm I making I'm making a, I'm making a witch's cauldron. Oof. I'm doing all sorts. I'm putting shit in there that you wouldn't believe that oh can go God. in a bathtub. I, I got ham hocks. I'm putting <laughs> I'm putting in there. I'm putting in sarsaparilla. I'm putting in fucking frankincense and myrrh. I got Mure? gold dust. Yo, myrrh is in there. Yeah, what is myrrh. I'm putting a, in a bath bomb that is so. Uh, repellent that it could level a village anywhere in the world, no matter what kind of stuff Rolled the buildings in were barbecue made out of. sauce. Oh my god, I get out of there the nastiest man in history. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> you know, some people are like, You're gonna take a bath after you're gonna take a shower if you take a bath, which eh, wrong, you were just in the bath, dumbass. You're clean now. Um, when I get out of the bath, they need to hose my ass down, dude. I'm going. <laughs> they need to bring out the SWAT team water cannon oh for me because I'll come out drip swamp thing. Uh, anyways, I haven't watched TV uh, <laughs> since I was 17. Sorry. <laughs> swamp thing coffee. Swamp thing. <laughs> I do be taking baths, so. though. Well, I made Liz giggle too much, oh, so I'll God. start the intro to the guest. We have with us today a writer from one of my favorite publications. Yeah, we've got Alan McLeod here to talk about his new article on Tucker Carlson. Let's roll. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Truanon Tonight. Uh, We have with us today, Mint Press News journalist, Alan McLeod. Uh, That was actually a worse introduction than the one I had originally planned. You were going to go with like a uh, banger one, and then it was a complete flip of the vibe. The problem is I don't watch enough news to know how to like make a joke about it. So... You know, all I, your references are like from the '90s. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah, just reference so. Crossfire. <laughs> I can only really do like season eight Simpsons. That's really the only pop culture <laughs> stuff I've got. 
I know. I yeah. I uh, welcome. Welcome to. I'm like welcome to CNN. Like I don't have anything <laughs> else. To, <laughs> I, Andrew Cuomo. I don't remember which Cuomo was on TV and which one was the pinching the girls' asses. I probably both of them. Um, but uh, but we have with us here today a journalist from a real publication, Mint Press News, uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Tucker Carlson and the news media at large. Uh, Alan, welcome to the show. Very glad to have you. Good to be with you. What's going on? Thanks so much for coming. This is a um, great piece that was forwarded to me, actually, by a friend of the show, and I think friend of yours as well, Robbie Martin. Um, and you, it's called Tucker Carlson, the elite pedigree of a brilliant cosplaying populist. Um, and it's a real interesting history of, I mean, America's biggest star, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> it's still sometimes, I think, um, a little, uh, it, it feels it feels wrong to to say this, but he is one of America's biggest celebrities at this point. It's sort of hard to minimize his popularity, um, but it's a really fascinating piece. You, how did you kind of stumble into this, or what brought you to writing this piece? <laughs> well, you already mentioned uh, the reason. It was um, Robbie Martin, friend of uh, True and mm. On. I think he's been on your show. He did mm. uh, he did share a clip with me about Tucker Carlson. We've been talking about him for a while. And the clip was him uh, being interviewed by some very weird person in about 2005, late 2005, early 2006. It's never been published anywhere except this guy's YouTube page. But um, what Tucker says in that is pretty interesting. He says, you know, in the 1980s, you know, when I was in college, uh, I went down to Nicaragua to, quote, go get involved in the war and, you know, fight for Mm. the side that I thought was right, which was not the Sandinista side which is a pretty incredible claim. You know, hundreds of people have written biographies of Carlson, but nobody has ever mentioned this. So I started going, you know, going through like, you know, um, old documents, that old news databases, et cetera, trying to find out a little bit more about this, you know, talking to people who I knew in Nicaragua. And I did find another podcast where, you know, it was even crazier what, um, what he said on that. The conservative host said, and this is a quote, I don't think many people know that you were actually a freedom fighter who traveled to Central America to fight with the Contras. Could you fill our listeners in on that story? And then Tucker's like, (laughs) no, uh, actually, it was my liberal dad let me go. And I just wanted to go and see the war in Nicaragua. And then he's like, all kinds of hilarity ensued. And then he very nervously changed the subject. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, this is immediately what I wanted to look at. This sounds Mm -hmm. like a, a really juicy story. And yeah, that's what the the article is about, primarily about what Tucker is, uh, what he presents himself as, as, and, you know, really looking looking at what sort of um, role he plays in society, particularly given his background, his dad, his mother, and uh, his history in promoting things like the Iraq War and neoconservatism more generally. Yeah, I uh, I, I want to get into his dad a little bit here because uh, I think people do – some people at least to an extent do know who his father was. Um, and his dad was a pretty powerful fo- force in both radio sort of writ large but more specifically the American government's direct involvement in radio. Um, and uh, you know, having come from a family where my dad was a bit of a radio man himself <laughs> – um, I uh, – you know, it's uh, – it, it, it's really interesting because his, his father was actually in charge of Voice of America. That's right. He was the head. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan to be the head of the U.S. Information Agency, which is the body which oversees Voice of America, 
Radio Liberty, Radio Free Europe, Radio Marty, all of these um, networks that collectively the New York Times calls a worldwide propaganda network set up by the CIA. And that's really what they're about. They're uh, in his position, Dick Carlson is his name, he was really uh, there in the 1980s to carry out the media, um, uh, the media aspect of the dirty war against the Sandinistas and against um, the governments of Eastern Europe and Russia as well. And so Dick had this really important role during the 1980s as one of the chief cold warriors in mm -hmm. uh, the US government in Washington, D.C. And I was able to find a lot of clips about him talking about his role on C-SPAN, which is a great resource for um, like old clips because yeah. you know they, nobody watches C-SPAN, so people are really have their guard down and they really talk much more yeah. <laughs> openly about what they're doing there. And callers call in and they just you know just say stuff that they wouldn't say uh, if yeah. they were on CNN or something. Yeah, some classic great oopses come from C-SPAN for sure. Yeah, including Tucker. But uh, yeah. yeah, his dad. <laughs> and there are all sorts of clips of his dad talking about how. Uh, Voice of America was really the driving force behind the end of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And Dick was also, you know, amplifying messages about the Sandinista government in Nicaragua, you know, carrying out a sort of hybrid warfare, what was going on. Um, I think most people know a little bit about the Iran-Contra affair and how the U.S. was kind of bombarding Nicaragua with uh, incessant propaganda yes. to try and get the Sandinistas out. And of course, they were, as well, they were funding uh, far-right death squads, the Contras, and the way they were funding that, of course, was by selling weapons to Iran on the site and then using mm -hmm. that money to uh, arm and train the Contras. And, of course, there's the whole angle where, of course, the CIA is widely accused of flooding black neighborhoods in the United States throughout the 80s with crack cocaine as well. Mm -hmm. um, in order to fund uh, this network of death squads across uh, Central America. And so really, this is what uh, Tucker Carlson's dad was doing in the 1980s, overseeing the media aspect of this. And mm -hmm. so for him to present himself as this sort of like anti-state radical who's a populist outsider, it just doesn't chime with reality, frankly. Well, I, I think an important thing to note about, especially like the the, the media's role uh, in in not only the Dirty War but the Cold War more more generally, is that uh, you know propaganda. I think people sort of discount it in a way and like be like, oh yeah, well you know like it's a real thing that exists, but like it's like exists as this like amorphous like other thing that like mm. you, you know is really hard to pinpoint. Voice of America, and you know, I'm using that as sort of the collective term for all of these different networks. Um, but you know, like Radio for Europe, Radio Marty, all of these things. These are actually really important, and and, and occasionally, I don't know about so much about Radio Marty, uh, but you know, they can occasionally be very effective tools. And propaganda in in general, um, especially during the Cold War, and 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 really just in in the kind of the global American fight against or American led fight against communism in generally was not only hugely effective, but like in, in battling on its own turf, but battling it in America as well. I mean, there are constant, like in going back to, to the, you know, the, the 1917, uh, 1917 revolution in Russia, there is just like this constant barrage of atrocity sort of propaganda or pornography, you might call it coming out about these, you know, vicious reds. There's, there's a, um, there's a, I, I, I can't remember what the, 
the title is, but I have a book about it, which is just all these sort of like headlines about these atrocities in, in Eastern Europe. And that basically continued until the end of the Cold War and really, in fact, continues in terms of American foreign policy to today. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's pretty astounding that Tucker's dad was uh, was was basically a general on this front in the Cold War. Yeah, I mean, listen, let's be honest. Uh, Voice of America was controlled by the CIA well up into the 1980s. Yeah. And even right now, there's still considerable influence from the national security state in this. If you go to their website, it's just like, it's kind of laughable how pro-US and uh, how much it just sounds like a bunch of spies are writing this. And mm -hmm. so, you know, he's right at the center of this, appointed by Ronald Reagan himself. The guy is like hanging out with people like R. James Woolsey. He's on boards who, you know, if you don't know, he was the CIA director in the 90s. He's on boards with people like Gene Kirkpatrick, who was overseeing the death squads. Uh, he's on uh, all sorts of like function groups, like the Foundation for the Defense of Democracy, which is like yeah. a, a pro-Israel front group in the United States. He's got all sorts of connections to uh, really senior, senior people in the United States government. And right after Tucker goes down to Nicaragua, he actually went down at least twice, I was able to find out about. Mm -hmm. The first time he said, you know, go and get involved in the war, which, you know, what does that even mean? It's yeah. pretty interesting. Does that mean uh, get involved and offer moral support to the city, to the Contras? Or does that mean, like, take up arms? It's not really quite clear. And I did, uh, I did email Tucker and I was speaking to people at Fox. Uh, someone very high up and eventually took my call and uh, she was talking about, I think she was like the senior vice president of media or something. Mm -hmm. And it, it became pretty clear off the bat that they really weren't interested in participating in this story and mm -hmm. that they were really fishing for information because they kept asking me like, okay, so what exactly would you like uh, Tucker to comment on? And then he'd be like, so what exactly are you alleging here? What, is, uh, what, what do you know? They were fishing for information, basically, yeah. to, about you know, Tucker's connections to the national security state. But yeah, as I said, he did go down there when he was in college in the late 80s to, in his own words, get involved in the war. And then, of course, in 1990, he was back there. I was able to find out because there's an old um, newsletter from his preppy university he went to, the Trinity Tripod, I think it's called, the, yeah. um, the story. And it says that, you know, Tucker and his college roommate, Neil Patel, who founded yes. the Daily Caller with him and also went on to work for Scooter Libby, who is Dick Cheney's uh, chief of staff while he mm -hmm. was uh, vice the president. Goat. Yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, Tucker and Neil Patel were apparently standing right next to Violetta Chamorro, who's this oligarch leader of uh, Nicaragua, who has been, you know, uh, propped up by the United States. She's the sixth tomorrow. Uh, she's the sixth person in her family to be president. And apparently Tucker, by his own volition, was standing right next to her when she got the message that she won the election. And that, again, raises a lot of questions. It's like, how did some college student get that sort of access, considering there had been like a 10-year civil war going on at that time. There must have been huge security concerns. So how mm. did he get into that sort of inner sanctum? Imagine if you met somebody who said, oh, yeah, I was in Trump's war room at the time of the 2016 election victory. You'd be like, mm. how did you get in there? And yeah. So it's uh, a very interesting fact, especially when you remember that the year later, Tucker formally tried to join the CIA, but apparently was uh, rejected. And his dad, after that, said, well, why don't you go into journalism? Because, you know, they'll take anyone. So, Alan, he had, he had actually, like you were saying, he tried to actually join the CIA and was rejected? 
Well, that's uh, apparently the story. It's really, nobody's really followed up on this. There was an article in the New Yorker about this, which casually mentioned mm. that in the early 90s, he did try and join the CIA, but that was just left aside. And there's been no commentary on that at all. Again, I tried to f- follow that lead. Unsurprisingly, uh, Tucker's people weren't really that interested in divulging very much information about this. I did try to contact uh, the co uh co-author, uh, or sorry, the co-starter of The Daily Caller, Neil Patel as well, but he didn't uh, return my emails. So ultimately, mm. this just uh, lies as this big question mark of, of what was Tucker Carlson doing in the early 90s? This preppy kid who's the son of the heiress to the Swanson food dynasty, a guy who describes himself as a trust fund baby who is extraordinarily loaded, a guy whose father is, you know, knee-deep, probably not even knee-deep, shoulder deep in uh, in national security state stuff, trying to join the CIA and then uh, going into journalism after that. That's pretty interesting, especially as in the late 90s, he started uh, uh, whacking out pieces defending the CIA, particularly uh, from Gary Webb's criticisms, which was that the CIA was basically uh, being used to uh, flood America with crack cocaine, particularly the black neighborhoods of uh, Los Angeles, of New York, of Detroit, in order to fund this dirty war that was going on. Yeah, I would say that I would maybe push back on like him going into journalism so much as like media stardom. Like I think that like very early on he I he was either, you know, someone someone high up could see that he had a talent for the kind of alarmist and like propagandist style that he has like perfected on screen today. But even like as a writer, um uh, you know, early on for these, I mean, which I can't even remember which, uh, he's probably at all of them, but which big right wing paper he was at. He was at the Weekly Standard. standard. Yes, of course, the Classico style, the Weekly Standard. Yeah, Bill Crystal's um, rack. Yeah, I mean, he was like churning out some pretty, you know, pretty heavy pieces back then. He was a, you know, he is a talented writer and definitely a talented definitely. broadcaster as well. He's very affable, he's very polite, but I think a lot of people, often uh, mistake, uh, you know, being personable as being a good person, ultimately. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> in 1996, what I was talking about there was he famously wrote an article for the Weekly Standard called A Disgraceful Newspaper Expose and Its Fans. And it was all about how Gary Webb, the journalist who ended up with two bullets in the back of the head and it was ruled a suicide, all mm-hmm. about his uh, talk about how this uh, the CIA you know, a nationwide uh, conspiracy to dump crack cocaine on urban neighborhoods. Um, he was talking about it as a, this absolutely ridiculous story. And, you know, few media outlets took this seriously. He really went on the attack for Webb, so much so that a declassified CIA document actually cites his Weekly Standard article <laughs> as important in helping them, quote, manage a nightmare. So the CIA yeah. were literally name checking him as, as like this great journalist who was their friend. And again, only a couple of years after he tried to join. Interesting. Mm. Very interesting. And with Gary Webb, too, um, I mean, there was a huge concerted effort by the media sort of writ large to not only sort of push back against his findings, but to attack him personally. I mean, yeah. that is, that is, I think, a, uh, a pretty well-known part of the Webb story by now. But I mean, there was just ceaseless articles until basically he was hounded out of a job. And I think but he had to take a take a, a newspaper gig in sort of like uh, northern California, northern northern California, which is a 
not a not a not a uh, great place to end up um, if you're a writer. <laughs> um, but uh, and then eventually, of course, he quote killed himself, like you said, by shooting himself uh, twice in the head, which is um, rather extraordinary. But yeah, I mean, Carlson really. Um, I think what set him apart and still sets him apart from a lot of his contemporaries is that he is like his personableness, like you said, and his sort of like charisma, because I mean, my God, the man has, you know, has some, has some kind of incredible charisma. Um, and, and clearly very, very intelligent guy. Um, really sort of like, I mean, I the, the guy's rise has been t- totally meteoric. Like he's been, he's been, uh, I mean, he's gone from sort of this like, Right wing publications to to getting on to you know sort of doing the, the rounds through the cable networks and to finally ending up at Fox. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, you you talk about in your uh, in your in your article about his uh, his journey to Iraq uh, in the opening years of the war, and in particularly this photograph of him with these two DynCorp mercenaries uh, where he's holding an AK forty seven, and they're uh, they're I don't know holding some submachine guns or something. Um, and, and I think that sort of marks a pretty big, um, not, that, that doesn't necessarily, but it marks the beginning of kind of the new era of Tucker, or at least the end of the old era of Tucker. Yeah. TV where, Tucker. TV Tucker. Exactly. Because he goes from these, like this, like really is real neocon roots. I mean, it's the 1990s. That stuff was really ascendant. Um, I mean, of course you had its kind of contemporaries in paleocon or whatever too, but like, you know, he was clearly attached to that ship. I mean, he was writing for Bill Crystal's publication for Christ's sake. Um, and, uh, and, you know, obviously a big supporter, like basically, basically everybody on both liberal and conservative ends of the mainstream media spectrum, um, uh, in 2004. And then you sort of see him slowly turn against the war. Although, like you said, not in exactly in the most principled way, um, and to finally ended up where he is today. It's incredible, really. I mean, he's been through so many, uh, persona changes you think he's like a wwe wrestler like in the early 2000s most people don't even know this now that tucker had a job at cnn and he had a job at Mm -hmm. msnbc i think you guys are about the same age as i am and so i think you probably kind of grew up in this 9-11 era where the iraq war was a real defining uh, point in time for you and the one thing about the iraq war that i really remember is just how insane the media became and yes. one clip really personifies that to me, which was when the powers that be tried to enlist Britney Spears to gin up support for the Iraq war. Britney at this time was like the hottest global superstar yeah. imaginable. She was 21. She'd like, you know, dropped so many hits already. It was a couple of years past baby one more time. And uh, CNN sits her down for an interview and basically asks her, do you have a message for your fans about uh, the president? And she gives this really weird, semi-scripted, perhaps scripted answer where she's like, I think all my fans should just trust the president. Uh, she, they should trust President Bush's judgment and not question it. And I'm like, wow, what the hell is going on here? And then the interviewer asks, like, do you trust this president? Will you vote for her, uh, him? And she says yes. And then the Interviewer is like, excellent, excellent. Uh, you're going to be on the National Mall uh, soon performing uh, for Pepsi and the NFL uh, and also to support our troops. A lot of entertainers have come out against the war in Iraq. Uh, have you? Honestly, I think we should just trust our president in every decision that he makes and we should just support that. That interviewer was Tucker Carlson for CNN. The most absurd clip that has been memorialized 
in so many documentaries. I think Michael Moore uses it in one of his documentaries as like just how crazy the media became to the point where they're like getting teeny boppers in to try and shore up support for this thing. Yeah. And that's what Tucker was doing in the early 2000s. Uh, he also worked for MSNBC after CNN, where he had mm. a different persona again. Generally, this persona was the out-of-the-closet elitist. That's actually a direct quote of how he used to talk about himself. He said mm -hmm. he is an out-of-the-closet elitist. He doesn't see himself as a man of the people at all. He's constantly like lambasting Bill O'Reilly for how fake his populism is. He says... You know, it's all very well having this shtick that you're a man of the people and you're a right-wing populist. But the minute people find out that you make multi, you know, you're making like millions of dollars every year and you, you know, drink Evian and you have servants, it's over. The shtick just won't fly. And it's so interesting to see that he's actually taken on Bill O'Reilly's persona when mm. Bill O'Reilly got canned for, you know, groping too many women in the end. Carlson is pretty much just taken O'Reilly's persona and that's what he is today which is so interesting because like in the mid-2000s he was kind of making his way as this sort of like right-wing shock jock who appeared on a lot yeah. of uh, radio podcasts or like um, radio shows and there are so many clips of him talking about you know how we should just like level Iraq and how yeah. the people of Iraq are quote semi-literate monkeys and you know, sign a little didn't, prime. Didn't he do that on like Man Cow or whatever? Yeah, like it was like one shows. of those big, yeah, yeah, one of those big, like yeah, that's of right, the, yeah. very of that moment. I think it's interesting his, you know, the way that he kind of shifts his personas. He's very attuned to the kind of cultural shifts and like where the um like he's kind of like a bit of a like cool hunter in his own way because like you say that persona he adopts in the kind of like late. The like late Iraq years, like pre Obama, right on the edge of the Bush Obama years, is when like before the great the financial crisis is this you know there was this idea in American culture that like oh you know that was like rebuking populism that was kind of like kind of um, very like celebratory of wealth it was like a very um, very odd moment in American culture as opposed to the like early 2000s Tucker, which kind of mirrored that same sort of gritty populist rah-rah um, America kind of mm -hmm. down-home energy that was so typical during the kind of early Iraq war push. And now the, the persona you see, of course, of the like, you know, the MAGA, um, you know, kind of like anti-woke, anti-liberal, anti-PMC, whatever we want to call it, um, contrarian right winger, you know, that's just trying to, this is like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not right. I'm not anything. I'm just trying to get to the truth and be honest yeah. guy. It's like, he's, he's really good at kind of like finding these, you know, cultural currents and really exploiting them. Exactly. He goes where it goes. Cause in the two thousands, he was literally wearing a bow tie when he was like being yeah. interviewed for years. He was this guy yeah. who was like, ha ha ha, I'm Mr. Moneybags. There are <laughs> clips of him talking on camera about uh, working class people being peasants and him growing up in a castle and, uh, you know, talking about how, you know, uh, Iraqis can't behave like human beings and that's why the Iraq war was wrong. That's kind of his principles stand against Iraq. And I think it's uh, pretty clear that his earlier personas are probably much more aligned with what he really believes rather than this late persona that we've got. Because, of course, last year he's having dinner with George uh, Bush at his home in Florida. 
So, you know, what's going on there? Is he really some sort of outsider, this populist guy who's against the establishment when he's literally in his own time going to dinner with the president? I mean, this is like the biggest neocon uh, warmonger that there, there possibly could be. Maybe only Henry Kissinger is worse than George Bush. And yet Tucker is still in his own time just going, you know, doing this. So quite clearly, I think this is a total character act. And so many people are being pulled in by it. There are even people on the left who are like, well, you know, I don't like conservatives, but Tucker Carlson's okay because he's anti-war. Glenn Greenwald's, God love him, even called him a socialist at one point, which is uh, pretty, uh, you know, debatable, I think, uh, to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think ultimately Tucker is this uh, masterful guy who's got many different uh, guises. But ultimately, people are so genuinely thirsty for some real populism that they are pretty much willing to take any old crap and tucker is uh, serving that up on a daily basis well i i think it's sort of um what sets tucker apart i think from a lot of his contemporaries both on fox and uh and like on cnn msnbc i mean he is uh, compared to any any show any show on like CNN or MSNBC, he is like leagues further more popular than them. Oh yeah, I mean, I think even Greg Gutfeld's Who? like it, baby. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I I don't even know how to describe it for you. But is that the, that's what, a real person? On Greg TV? Gutfeld is is not only a real Gutfeld? person. He, Gutfeld. Yeah. Gut, yeah, that's how you. Bless you for not knowing who Greg. Go, uh, I know. Gutfeld that, is. Yeah, so bless you. Maybe didn't change his last name. Uh, he, Gutfeld. He is. Uh, I I don't know how to describe it, but he is a conservative comedian. Uh, let's say. Oh no. Uh, which does not do him justice. Prop but even his show. Even his show is more popular, I think, than Anderson Cooper's show, which is, mm. I believe, the most popular one on, on CNN. So, you know, Tucker's more popular than that, even. Like, he is, yeah. he is f- like, far, far, far and away. Um, and, and I think it, it goes to show that, uh, you know, he, he has this uh, adaptation that he's done um, and sort of this, like um, – this this persona that he's adopted and sort of these political positions that he's taken are actually like do mark him out as pretty different than most of the other people that are on TV, whether they're on Fox or CNN or MSNBC. And a lot of those people have not adapted, right? Like CNN is based – CNN today is essentially the same CNN that you'd see like 10 years ago. Um, MSNBC, uh, I actually don't really – I don't think I've ever – watched MSNBC you know, in my life. It's really funny. I did turn on just a couple of days ago, I turned on MSNBC um to see how they were covering uh Ukraine and Russia. And um they were talking only about Tucker Carlson. I can't remember if it was Rachel Maddow's show or um Chris Hayes. It was one of those like 6 p.m. slots, you know, prime time. Mm-hmm. And they were go- they had a whole panel there with clips of Tucker Carlson just talking about all of the things they got wrong or he got wrong and all of this stuff. And so I was like, well, what's Tucker saying? So I flipped over to Tucker and he was just talking about MSNBC yeah, and talking about all of these things that mainstream liberals were getting wrong. And it was such a fascinating little like window. I, I mean, you know, we can talk about MSNBC and Fox and their, you know, how these two reinforce each other all, you know, all day. But it was just, um, you know, these two, I mean, these two feed each other. It's such a, it's such a little dynamic feedback loop that they have going. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, they're kind of like the yin and yang of our horrible late capitalist dystopia, aren't they? They like perfectly complement each other, even though 
Fox News has got like four or five times the audience that MSNBC does. So a lot of conservatives are always like, oh, there's such a liberal media. But if you actually start looking at the numbers, Fox kind of wipes the floor with MSNBC and CNN. Oh, and if you absolutely. add those together, they don't even get to Tucker's ratings. I mean, Tucker get, pulls in three or four million viewers per show. And I know that doesn't include things like Hulu and YouTube. It just, it just includes people who are watching on television. So he's reaching like, a significant percentage of the American public every day. And that even included people like Donald Trump when he was president. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something to be noted is that like Tucker, I mean, yeah, you can see these numbers from like, um, you know, the Nielsen ratings or whatever, uh, Nielsen, I can't, I can't remember, remember how it's pronounced, but whatever, or even how it's spelled, but the ratings, you know, he's pulling in a lot of numbers, you know, just from people fucking watching the two, but this shit is shared in like clips and shit now. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? People watch like a 30 second clip on like Twitter, or maybe they watch a short thing on YouTube or something like that. And that gets into the millions and millions and millions of views themselves. And so people are really like, I, th I think people respond to this stuff for a reason, because I think what sort of delineates, um, you know, Tucker from a lot of his contemporaries is that he does have these uh, sort of professed views on, or, you know, or, uh, we can take it at face value. Maybe he has these views on, uh, on particularly foreign policy that I think a lot of people tend to defend him on, right? Like he is the anti-war voice on TV. Now, the, the, the thing about that is that like, every, I don't, I don't think that, uh, first of all, I don't think public, um, I don't think the public really needs to bless a lot of America's wars now like they used to have to even back in 2003. American can, can carry on sort of these like silent or you know nearly silent to the American population wars um, totally without the public's consent. Like I don't think most people know about our involvement or mm. really give a shit about our involvement in like Yemen or in Africa or anything like that um, because it doesn't have to be these giant invasions anymore. Yeah, um, and big thanks to the media as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, like Tucker has these sort of like um, heterodox positions on on war, and he sort of rails against uh, you know the, the the big capitalists or some big capitalists in a way that you don't often see on TV, and uh, and I think that that leads a lot of people into um, into I, I I don't really know how to describe it, but like there is this sort of um, like cheering of Tucker from people who may not even agree with him on a lot of stuff, but because like he is sort of giving voice to some of their opinions on TV. I think no matter how sort of like, um, you know, against the grain, a lot of people see themselves, if they see a position that they feel that they, you know, have politically represented on TV, I think that does actually matter to a lot of people, even if they're uh, maybe otherwise smart about some other stuff. And so with Tucker's popularity, um, I, I think, yeah, it extends beyond like the sort of Fox News, uh, Fox News, just like watching demographic into a lot of people who, uh, who generally might hold positions that are like outside the American mainstream. Most definitely. And, you know, the problem, though, is, is that, you know, Tucker is not like a principled anti-war person like, you know, Medea Benjamin from Code Pink or something. It's not how it is. Tucker has made it pretty clear that he doesn't really support uh, increasing uh, hostilities with Russia, precisely because he argues that the American focus should be on China. In fact, in that article that we've been talking about, he uh, has uh, media personality Jesse Kelly on. And, you know, during his rant, he says that we need a military, we need type A guys in the military who want to sit on a, quote, throne of Chinese skulls. And Tucker's like, yeah, yeah, 
So ultimately, Tucker has been ginning up his population for a war against China, and uh, this you know potential war against Russia we're now you know all thinking about is really getting in his way of this idea of a sort of Pacific intercontinental war that he's been salivating over for a few years. And so that's really the extent of his anti-war activism. He's also you know been very uh, supportive in the past of like things like you know destabilizing Venezuela, for instance. So this isn't a guy who's like you know a principled anti deep state guy. I mean, he tried to join the CIA for Christ's sake. Yeah, I think too. Like sometimes, even when we talk about Tucker, it's like, or at least when I think about it, I try to um, you know, it's like there there's him as the personality, and then there's the question of like what is the like somewhere underneath him and above him, there's an infrastructure. Right. And I think that his like you can see over these like dec I mean, it's crazy to say decades now that he's been this like media star um, and the way that he changes positions and how he's able to kind of position himself even now as anti-war while, you know, ginning out all this like, you know, anti-China, uh, you know, pro-war on China, you know, propaganda is that like somewhere there is like, you know, th- there's a base beneath him that is, and above him, I think, that is um, strategizing a lot of this stuff, whether it is like overt in some kind of um, like highly organized, tightly organized way, or whether it is, you know, I, I guess like the idea that he's just like coming up with these ideas, like, you know, while he's like drinking his coffee in the morning, I like... I'm not as interested in as understanding, like, I I, want to know, like, what is, like, how this is kind of working beneath him and above him, I guess, is what I'm really interested in. And I think what your, you know, your piece is trying to kind of get at, looking at some of the history um, of his career. I mean, ultimately, I'd say, if he was, you know, truly a sort of genuine anti-war activist, or like fighting the establishment, he wouldn't be getting a multi-million dollar contract on Fox News. And in fact, sometimes this sort of uh, contradiction is really brought up uh, really very well. There was a Dutch historian who went on this program, Rusa Bregman, who was brought on to trash the people at the World Economic Forum, but didn't really go very well because Bregman went off script and started talking about how Rupert Murdoch is one of these elites as well. And he specifically (laughs) says, you're a millionaire funded by billionaires. And this whole shtick about you being a man of the people, it's not really... It's not really credible. And then Tucker just cuts him off and like starts using F words and whatever to shout him down. And then that's the interview over and it's never broadcast. And it only came out probably because someone at Fox clipped it and then sent it to someone and then it was leaked. But ultimately, yeah, people do call Tucker Carlson on his BS quite a lot, but uh, it never really makes the news. Well, I, I think too, like... Um... Also to kind of what Liz was getting at, I think there is like what Tucker's, uh, you know, tapping into is like a pretty genuine, like from the bottom, like I think a lot of people specifically in the aftermath now, I guess, of both the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan is this like um, generalized, if if sort of vague anti-war sentiment amongst a lot of the population. And that is kind of in a, in a funny way, I think, flipped between liberals and conservatives. Um, I mean, a lot of liberals, I think were driven totally insane by Russiagate stuff. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, on the flip, a lot of conservatives were driven totally insane by QAnon stuff. Although, thankfully, that is just a war against the pedo elites rather than just a war against uh, 
I don't know, Cuba or something like that. Uh, and and, and uh, I think what you're seeing all over the world is a sort of disgust with both the media, politicians, um, with a lot of the organizations that sort of make up the uh, infrastructure of globalization, World Economic Forum, um, I think to a lesser extent, IMF, stuff like that. Uh, and, and I, and I think it's, it's really, it's useful, um, for the, for the ruling classes to actually have these sort of like, um, you know, these pressure valves for stuff like that. And I, and I think that you see that with like AOC and a lot of left-wing people is that like, she can take over like, or she can sort of like give a kind of half voice to a lot of these concerns that people have and sort of funnel them towards being, you know, essentially towards being Democrats, uh, I think what you see a similar thing with Tucker Carlson is that you know he takes this sort of these sort of like genuine frustrations that a lot of people have, and then funnels it essentially towards not necessarily all of the GOP, but uh, towards a specific faction of 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 the GOP, specifically like around Trump. And I think that's something that Tucker really understands, or the, the people under around Tucker and himself really understand, is that like Trump. Um, Trump really did represent a lot of people, uh, and, and it, he wasn't just like I don't think that he's someone that can just be like replaced by Ron DeSantis or something. I think like Trump specifically represented a lot of people, um, and I think Tucker kind of understood that, or like the P- Tucker and the people around him understood that even more than Trump did in a way. Um, and uh, and I and I think that what his program does is is give it just really sort of like funnels that kind of energy. Um, and 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 sort of sheepdogs, I guess, people towards that stuff. And you know, he does too. I, I think with the Daily Caller, as you saw, I mean, there's been all these sort of scandals with the Daily Caller. You know, hiring like I think it's like almost uh, almost like it's seven or eight like people who are basically yes. Nazis. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I and I think that what you see like sometimes that comes out in Tucker's program is he takes a lot of these views that people have, and you can kind of see at least that maybe the you know people writing from whatever can kind of see like oh well this will be popular or like we can sort of like you know uh, bring this into like uh, sort of our our worldview our our kind of like uh, Tucker MAGA based thing. Um, but we, we we can leave the sort of more extremist elements. So what he does is he, it, it's, it's kind of like laundering that stuff, uh, in in a really effective way, I think. Um, and like, uh, yeah, it's 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 sort of extraordinary to see like this um this political apparatus uh you know spring up around him um in this way this sort of like loose political apparatus. Um, what, what that, what that means in more general political terms is, I, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know how that's going to end. I know a lot of people thought that like Tucker himself was going to like run for uh, office or something. I don't think that obviously that's going to happen in 2024, but like, um, I do think that if he ran maybe after 2024, he could probably win if he maintains his current popularity. I mean, he's a, he's a fucking extraordinarily charismatic and intelligent guy. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of people who are media personalities become heads of state of late. You know, Silvio Berlusconi was a media baron. We've seen, uh, you know, Zelensky in Ukraine, who is a, a really popular actor and comedian who is now the president of the country after playing the president on TV, which is mm-hmm. absolutely wild. But ultimately, I think Tucker's role, as you said, a safety valve is a good metaphor for it. He tries to channel popular rage, which has been building since the 1970s, because People are getting poorer and people aren't stupid. They know that their uh, quality of life is going down. They know that they're not going to have as good a life as their parents or their grandparents. And so there is this pent up rage across the US and across most of Europe as well, which is going in the same direction. 
And ultimately, Tucker, you know, sometimes he almost sounds like Bernie Sanders in some of his uh, speeches, but ultimately his targets tend to be either very amorphous elites, which often, you know, is interchanged with liberal elites, or he'll direct you specifically at like completely meaningless targets like, you know, vegans or Colin Kaepernick or, you know, blue haired liberals or something like that, which, you know, ultimately are not the centers of power. The centers of power are people like his boss, Rupert Murdoch, or the massive corporations which pay his salary. So ultimately, I really do see Tucker Carlson not as a threat to the establishment, but one of the greatest assets that they've got. something like very fascinating about like Tucker and Maddow, right? I always think of Maddow, but it's also Chris Hayes, you know, and the kind of like adversarial relationship they have, which by the way, they used to be co-workers. It's totally fake. These are all the same. They still go on vacation with each other. Yeah, yeah. There's all the same class. Like these people are all, you know, friends with each other or whatever. But the, the kind of like TV adversarial relationship they have is so funny to me because it feels like this kind of like, it's like the top tier. And then below that tier, you have the kind of YouTubers that have their, they kind of like mimic that same relationship that they see that is so successful on these big media TV shows. And then below that, you see like people on social media um, kind of doing the same thing to their perceived or real, I don't know, like ideological adversaries or for whatever, um, you know, story it is of the day and they're kind of battling it out and yet all of these things like kind of roll up content wise and roll back down there's like a feedback loop for all of these different kind of stations in the mass media machine if you know what i'm saying like things that people talk about on the low end end up all the way on the top end and vice versa you know and i guess that's what i was trying to say this this infrastructure that kind of is built underneath tucker or any kind of like you know media personality whether people even know it or not is is completely fascinating to me and i think one of something that we always talk about on this show even if we don't mean to is to like trying to tease out these kind of you know either feedback loops or kind of dynamic forces that are just pushing all of this fucking bullshit in our faces 24/7 sure and uh you know most people, I think, are vaguely aware of what an algorithm is, but I don't think a lot of people realize just how important they are in our life and shaping what mm-hmm. we're thinking about, what we're talking about. Ultimately, we now know that places like Facebook or Twitter actually actively are looking for contentious stuff that will drive engagement because ultimately engagement sells people uh, you know, react to it and are on the platform for a little bit longer, which means that they can surveil you for a bit more and take a bit more yeah. of your personal data and then use that to sell you crap that you don't want. And so ultimately, we're now in a situation where a lot of creators, whether they're, you know, on TV networks or whether they're just on YouTube, they're looking at the numbers and they're seeing that, like, uh, you know, being nasty to people or trying to clap back to people or trying to destroy someone who's your political opponent is uh, really good for ratings and can actually make you money. But ultimately, where does that really lead us? It leads us in quite a destructive place where we don't have long form discussions. We don't have any sort of like genuine kind of understanding. And it's really cheapening our media landscape entirely to the point where 
you know, people nowadays, you, you can only really sort of catch people's attention for 280 characters now, which means that you can never really explain complex thoughts to them. And, you know, it, sometimes when I, you know, start thinking a bit more cynically, I wonder if that's by design. I wonder if that's, you know, great for the powers that be that, that it means that, you know, people aren't really going to be like reading books or anymore or really engaging with uh, political subjects in that way. And because ultimately it's a very disarming thing to just be constantly scrolling on your phone because, you know, ultimately you're never really going to achieve anything in that way. Well, I, I think too, uh, you know, with, with, with that and with, and with, I mean, even just watching TV, I mean, not to sound like a fucking ad busters guy, but like, I don't <laughs> think watching TV has really news or what, or shit's Creek or whatever, I think definitely makes you dumber. Uh, I think watching TV in just 30 second clips that you just see on your phone makes you even dumber than that. Um, Brave of you but- to come again, come out against Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yo, I, I was a heavy investor in that, Liz, and I lost a lot of Ethereum, uh, and I don't think it's very fair to bring that up today. <laughs> but, uh, but, but to that point too is like, um, you know, I think, <laughs> I think media beefs. I mean, that's a great way to raise your profile, right? Um, oh my the, god, the prob- yes. <laughs> the problem with like, um, the problem with like the MSNBC sort of CNN types is that like. You know, they only have like a few really well-worn things to get mad about, which is like racist Republicans uh, or like, you know, sort of whatever variety of Republicans. Uh, you know, if you're on Fox, you basically can hate uh, – like you you can make a segment about basically any annoying thing in American society and people will watch it. Uh, and, and I think that's a big reason that like a lot of people like – tune into basically the, the, the news in general is because they're kind of vaguely mad about something. They want to get madder about something. Uh, and I think that a lot of the reason Tucker in particular is so popular is because a lot of people hate the media, but they still want to watch TV, right? Mm, like The they classic, know the, the food is so bad in such small portions. Exactly. <laughs> and like the thing, like like the media, the media has not covered itself in, I mean, I, I, I am not, you know, it has never really covered itself in glory in America, but as like as as consolidation has grown, like it, it is, it is there. Are, there are less and less choices and worse and worse ones too. And I think a lot of people sort of rightfully hate the fucking media, um, but they still feel like they need to get their news from somewhere, right? And so they still got to watch it. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine. Actually, you know what? I'm wrong on that. I was about to say I can't imagine a lot of people watching MSNBC really believe a lot of that crap. But I, I have no idea what would make me say that in the first place because I know for a fact that they do. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I think with Tucker's program, is he? This is this is this is something that like you know, in addition to all the anti-war stuff, whatever. Like, I think a really important part of his program that people like is that like he trashes the media and like. As we saw mm. from you know from sort of 2016 onwards, um, there is a great groundswell and a lot of popular support for people who hate the media. I mean, Lise, I was selling rope tree journalist shirts at Trump rallies uh, in both 2016 and 2020. I made 16 million dollars. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, but, uh, but that's like, that, that's something I think a lot of the media writ large has not, I keep saying fucking writ large this episode. That's cause I'm, I'm on the radio. Um, cause you have your little like news cap hat on with the little on. like card in it, like old timey stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's a lot of like, like, like they, they, they won't and can't grapple with, uh, the fact that they've basically, um, 
for I think a lot of people really uh, disgrace themselves. Um, I mean, you look at just CNN this year alone and all of their sort of like unfurling of scandals from like minor ones of a, a producer trying to have sex with a child to like, uh, you know, the Cuomo kerfluffle. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are watching TV and hating it, but they can't stop watching it. And I think Tucker is like, kind of gives a voice to that. Be like, yeah, it sucks. Um, I hate all of the rest of them. And, and I think that's just going to give them a, that give it, give them a total, you know, leg up in the sort of the race against MSNBC and CNN. If there's one thing people hate, it's pearl clutchers. And ultimately, yeah, when Donald Trump, um, went on tour his most popular five minute segment of any of his rallies was when he was trashing the media when he was pointing at the people in those pens from like yeah. you know i don't know the new yorker magazine or something and you yeah. know he'd you know uh, focus the hate on them for a couple of minutes and that would be you know palpable and ultimately yeah people like maddow is she's the ultimate pearl clutcher in, in chief really that you know absolutely takes her job super seriously there's no sorts of like you know fun and and laughter in uh, Maddow's world. I used to be an academic, and uh, people in uh, press organizations and uh, you know big institutes like the Reuters Institute are really panicking over the fact that trust in media has just been declining for more really? than forty years, but has really been crashing yeah. in the last uh, five to ten. And you know, I, I listen to their you know solutions, and it's basically like we need to create a new media which just tells the facts and doesn't have any mm. right wing awful bias and nothing from the left. So, the okay, rise so you mean, of the debunker. So you yeah. mean basically, yeah, they need more uh, you know fact checking organizations, and they also talk about how you know we have, we've got to change the algorithms to make sure that. Yeah. Uh, controversial stuff or borderline content will never be seen by people on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever, which ultimately means that they're just trying to like squeeze back control over what they yeah. had in the pre-internet yeah. era to try and roll the clock back. Because this uh, this uh, new technology really caught them off guard, and a lot of people, us included, were able to make some sort of uh, career out of it. Well, I think it's funny too. I mean, that's such a classic like media manager. Like go to, I mean, ever since the like rise of even like technocratic thought, I mean, right? It was the idea that um, too much democracy in uh, can lead to this kind of you know misinformation, people getting out of control, it being you know unable to be managed, and we need effective management, right? And in some respects, I mean, it's not. I wouldn't say it's like right in as in it's like a. Uh, like good or correct, but this, I will say that the internet and the kind of total democratization of communication of the public square, like this is an experiment that has never been tried before, right? Yeah. We were talking uh, earlier, the three of us on our little group chat or whatever I saw, I saw for the first time, I guess it's been rolled out a, a, a bunch, but it was like one of the Twitter, like, oh, do you want to retweet this article before you've read it? Kind of like little, like, yeah. it reminds me of the little Microsoft Word Clippy guy. <laughs> You know, it's like, like, oops, do you mean to share this when you, it's like, but I had, I mean, not that I need to, but I had clicked it on another tweet. So I don't know why it was showing up for me, but also, even if I had it, don't tell me what to do. None of your business. Yeah. None of your business. But it's so interesting that I think that there is, you know, the, the kind of the class that, you know, the people of the class that are, you know, the kind of programmers and the managers at tech firms and at media companies that are trying to come up with these sort of like the solutions to the unwashed masses having the ability to like, you know, pound buttons on their phone and say what they want at any you know point and go viral that cannot be controlled or whatever. Um, 
is to kind of put these like little like safety things in check. I mean, it just always, always backfires and it never works, you know? I mean, it's just completely ridiculous. Remember what the New York Times tried to do like during the Trump years? I mean, it was just, they were like, oh, what if we just overhaul our entire op-ed page to just be like, you know, this one ice, it was just, it completely backfired and looked completely ridiculous. Well, on the other hand, they managed to double or triple their subscriptions in 2016. Yeah. So in some ways you could say it was a great success though. You know, ultimately the New York Times is in a much stronger position than they were five years ago. Uh, whereas other media outlets that don't have the massive war chest that the Times do, mm. you know, they're going to the, the wall pretty much every day. Every couple of weeks, there's a new thing where it's like, oh, BuzzFeed is firing 500 journalists. Right, so the Atlantic right. is, you know, sacking how many other people. It, the media is, re- is not in a good uh, situation. And I'm not sure if, you know, just the sort of Patreon economy is a perfect solution to this, frankly. No. Yeah. And it's unsustainable, too. I mean, it's it's just unsustainable. I, I Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be possible to, like, run an outlet on that. I don't know if anyone really does. Um, but... Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that like one thing, Liz, that you said that kind of got me thinking is that like, yeah, I, I think that we're, we're, we're seeing right now is like a really big transitionary time for media in general. Um, I mean, there is a, uh, there is sort of this like rollback or reaction to sort of like the free and open internet. I mean, I, I hesitate to actually call it free and open, but you know, to, to the, to the, to the era before like fact checks and like, you know, misinformation labels and stuff like that. I mean, that that stuff has really only been rolled out en masse for like uh, the past couple of years, right? En masse? I don't know how to pronounce that. It just always reminds me of live moss when en you masse. say that. I'm sorry, so I can't People stop. People have only like... been, li- been living moss on the internet for like a couple of years. And I, oh, no, but like, I mean, that stuff, like, I, I think that stuff got rolled out pretty much with COVID. Uh, yeah, as, you're as, right. As far Co- as I Trump know. and COVID were the big ones. Huh? Exactly. Like those yeah. those two things. I think Trump and COVID have been like the two biggest things for the media since the fucking Iraq war. Um, well, we're and, seeing and, it right now, too. Talk about yes, wars, yeah, oh right? My we're God. seeing it. Big yeah. one right now. Well, well I, I mean, well, with that, I think it's been really wild to see a, a bunch of like pretty clear misinformation and propaganda come out like – you know, you, you saw the Snake Island stuff or the Ghost of Kiev, and that mm. stuff being reported totally uncritically by the a media, which told us that yeah. that the worst crime that you could ever commit would be to write a story that is factually untrue or like you know or, <laughs> or you know uh, could be debunked or something like that. But you see this incredible rise in like. Um, you know, in these in these misinformation labels, and you know, COVID was really sort of like uh, like uh, you know the test case for that. But I, I mean, if that stuff isn't going to be rolled out, uh, you know, for basically any major political event, then then I'll suck my own fucking dick on air. It is. Uh, it, I won't do that. That is de- being debunked actually as I speak. As, as I'm getting word <laughs> that apparently I do not have the spine necessary to do that. Um, but uh, but they don't call me the Trinity Tripod for nothing. They uh, there is. Um, it's called a callback, Liz. Nice. Um, but it, it's been kind of wild to see media uh, adapt to like finally catch up on adapting to the, to the new landscape of the internet in a way that like their pivot to video really like you know that was kind of a false start on this because there's a lot of money to be made in these like fake or either fake or real debunking um sort of websites and stuff like that or these fact check things that you get on instagram or facebook or twitter 
Um, you know, I, I think that is really like, I mean, beyond cable news, I think that's going to be like a really big, uh, sort of money-making scheme for a lot of these mm-hmm. outlets is to partner with tech, tech agencies or excuse me, tech companies, uh, and basically sell their services as uh, as fact checking. I know that Reuters, I think does it. Um, there's a lot of sort of like, uh, you know, fly by night companies in, uh, in India that do it too. Mm. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that we're going to be seeing like a lot more, um, basically alliances with, uh, with tech companies and with, uh, with, uh, media conglomerates as well. Half of these fact-checking organizations, though, are like intimately linked with groups like NATO, you know, you look yeah, at Yeah, I was going to say tech agency was correct, actually, when you said that. <laughs> When you talk about like the Atlantic Council, which has got a partnership with Facebook, I mean, it's like it's directly funded by NATO and by uh, weapons companies. And you look on their board and it's like Henry Kissinger. There's more than there's at least seven former CIA directors on the Atlantic Council's board. There's people like General Petraeus, Colin Powell until he died. It's basically like a who's who of the American establishment. And if that's who is deciding what is real and what is uh, fake on Facebook for Three billion people who use the platform—that's akin to global censorship on a on a scale that we never really have even thought. And I suppose that one of the things that really—I mean—I'm just filled with complete dread and sadness. I really don't understand the people who are really ginning up for this uh, Ukraine mm. conflict. But one of the things that really sickens me the most is all these blue checkers who are salivating at the idea of nuclear war and who are bashing people who think that that might be a possibility. Piers Morgan has been doing it constantly talking about how Putin would never nuke us. So let's call his bluff and send in the troops. It's just utterly sickening and absurd what's going on right now in that sense. And what's so wild about that too, is that so much of that stuff is happening on Twitter, right? You're seeing it kind of all start there and then it either gets, like we said, it's like it kind of travels below or it goes back up, uh, you know, below to like you know, not big media people or above to even like on TV, you see them, yeah. you know, M- and MSNBC and NBC reporters talking about no fly zones and like all this stuff to the point where the White House has to come out and clarify like what a no fly zone is, which I'm sure they really didn't want to do and certainly never did in the case oh, of the Syria that. conflict. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like what's wild is that, you know, and this kind of gets back to Tucker and some of what's made him so popular is like, you these kind of media and uh this kind of media apparatus that we have including social media and all of it it's all one thing right it incentivizes saying the most um the kind of like most polarizing or you know to the kind of limit of your own ideological kind of uh little club that you're in or whatever to the limit of what you can say to get the most like retweets or or replies or quote tweets or you get the most engagement right and in this moment It's actually, it's like, it's something real, right? We're talking about like nuclear war and you have these like huge reporters or political commenters or in the bizarre, I mean, European like council leaders. It's completely absurd what's happening. Talking, like tweeting about, you know, um, about actually, you know, ginning up, like you were saying, support for a nuclear confrontation or the use of nuclear weapons or, you know, a no-fly zone, which means a direct confrontation between American, NATO, and Russian forces. And it, it's it, it's one of those, like, very, I don't know, It I mean, I don't want to say Orwellian because that's so corny, but there's just, like, it's not Orwellian, but, like, there's this, um, like, real moment where you're like, is this real? 
do they know it's real? Is is what they're saying what they really think? Are they doing it for engagement? Like, at what point does this like fake media attention kind of mongering actually kind of hit meat space? Do you know what I mean? We were talking about it and I was saying like, it feels like we're hitting this like hard material limit of the like rove doc- doctrine that we make reality, you know? Because it's like people are just saying things to kind of create the reality that they want it to be. And it's hit, it's going to hit a limit. And I feel like we're kind of seeing that right now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It really is a trick to be living in an era where they're like, we're playing this massive game of nuclear chicken. And I'm telling you, like, once those missiles start firing, the five minutes we've got on Twitter is going to be absolutely wild dunking on people. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be absolutely crazy. Another thing I find absolutely astonishing about this is like the people I follow are saying stuff like, we have to be anti-fascist in this moment, no to uh, fascism. And I have to like click through to make sure, are you talking about being anti-Ukrainian forces or anti-Putin forces? Yeah, Because it's not yeah. even clear which one they are, because it's like, you know, you know, both of them are being labeled like that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, a real trick to be living in this era. I, I thought know. 2020 I- was bad, but... Turns out 2022 is even Just worse. wait till 2024, man. You know what? I predicted 2022 is the year of the smile. And, uh, I, you know, I, I thought I was wrong. It was the smile. Was like, Joker may- smile. Maybe I was wrong, but, you know, maybe I, maybe I was right because I'm smiling through it, baby. <laughs> People are going bonkers in ways that, uh, you know, COVID – like 2020 early 2020 people could have only dreamed of people going this fucking crazy yeah the scientists Uh, who came up with covid could have never come up with the never this conflict they should yeah exactly if they had spent one if they had if they had had 1000 covid infected monkeys tapping away on 1000 covid infected (laughs) typewriters in a uh, bio lab in either wuhan or ukraine they could have never come up with how insane people would get for 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 what's going on right now. I mean it is incredible. Um but uh yeah, I think we got to wrap up. We are hitting we are hitting our uh, our 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 limit. Um but Alan, it is been a absolute pleasure uh for for you to come on the show and uh and thank you so much for for writing this article. It's been Dini. so nice speaking to you. I've been listening to True on On for a long time now, so it's uh, yeah, really nice to talk to you. Oh, thanks Let's so much. Yeah, come yeah, come yeah, back anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and listen, censors, if you try to label this misinformation, then I will lock myself. Remember that chick lock try to chain herself to Twitter headquarters? Yeah. Wait, which one was that? Laura Loomer. Was it Laura Loomer? <laughs> oh my god. That's right. Yeah. I was when that happened. She is quirked I, up. Oh yeah, she's yeah, she's yeah. I when I when that happened, I was on the bus to uh I used to like uh like work at this Alzheimer's clinic. I was on the bus going there, and I saw that it was happening. And I didn't know that Twitter had a headquarters in New York, so oh, I thought I it was in San Francisco. Remember this? You got off and went there to see. Me yeah, see so I got off the bus and like <laughs> ran to Twitter headquarters, and there was nothing there. And so I had to like text my boss and be like, "I'm going to be a little late." I think um, apparently when some guy started propositioning her, she immediately found the keys and was just off, though, right? Oh God, no! I don't. I have no idea. I missed how it ended because I had to go to work. Yeah, I think um, it was. I think it was actually a person of color who started there. talking no. to her, and she was like, "Oh my God, get me out of here!" Yeah, that's incredible. <sighs> she is. Uh, she is one of my Laura. If you're listening to this, uh, I will actually. I, 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 I'm not going to read my phone number on the podcast, <laughs> um, but DM me. All right, Alan, it has been a pleasure. We will see you later. Great, nice to speak to you. 
Well, I think you know what I'm going to do for the rest of the day, Liz? Mm. I'm going to watch TV. <laughs> I'm watching Cooper. I'm watching Cuomo. But Cuomo's off. Yeah, right? for you. Mm. He's off. Yeah, only he's he's on the- They should give Alec Baldwin a show. <laughs> <laughs> Cuomo's on men's only CNN. If you got real crazy- men. Yeah, it's CNN for men only. Yeah. We just talk about guy stuff in there. Mm. He's like, this is my favorite goosing technique. You got you to gotta wait until she's picking up a pencil. Then <laughs> you just pinch. That's- <laughs> you just pinch. He's like, you got a clot. Like you're a th- thamaldehyde baby. <laughs> you you know, I feel like there's probably, a, Cuomo's going to come back somehow. Oh, they're coming. The you older cannot, Cuomo, right? I think, I think, I think Cuomo, fuck dude, I can't remember which one's which. Uh, the governor Cuomo one mm. is, uh, I've heard, and by heard, I mean I read on the internet uh, from a news organization that he's uh he's got some people sort of exploring if he can run again Ugh, an exploratory committee i love an exploratory committee <laughs> i love an explore i love an exploratory committee they should have them for everything um but uh but that would be if he gets it a fucking you gotta put the other cuomo back on because yeah, that it means should be package deal for package sure package deal package yeah. deal goes back on t that was a crazy app. People were going fucking crazy. I, I read an article the other day that was like, I regret calling myself a homosexual. And by I read an article, I mean I read the headline of that article, but damn, that's crazy. I'll <laughs> never read that article. But that's crazy that someone wrote that. Because um, a lot of things people don't know is that writers write their own headlines. <laughs> <laughs> writers always love to whenever they get in trouble on the internet they always love to be like we don't write the headlines they're fucking lying dude i worked at salon as an editor for three years they write their own headlines and they get mad at you if you try to write one that's more in line with what the actual story is about oh my god all right let's let's wrap this up well news rant over i'm liz <laughs> my name is brace we are of course joined by cnn producer young chomsky the only non-pedophile who is a producer at that network and the podcast is called true and on we'll see you next time bye-bye <laughs> Thank you.